How's it going? It's Robin Smith, and it's time for the Robin Smith Show for Sunday, February 19th, 2023. What's going on, everyone? Welcome. Welcome to the podcast. Today's a little different. Um, this is experimental here. I don't know how well you're going to hear me. I'm on the trail, and it's windy, so hopefully it's not too, you know, obnoxious, but... Uh, yeah, welcome. Welcome. If you're new to the show, uh, yeah, welcome. And if you're a long-time listener, thanks for tuning in. Um, I actually really need to get better at that, at thanking listeners for listening. But again, I, I kind of, you know how many fucking podcasts there are out there? Like a million? I don't know. And you're here, so that's that's kind of amazing. Um, anyway, I guess it's been a, last week was the rebroadcast, the valentine's day episode hopefully you all enjoyed that an older episode for those who hadn't and uh been a couple weeks i guess so looks like the kansas city chiefs won the super bowl congratulations to kansas city um sorry to all those eagles fans uh you know you can you can blame it on the refing the refereeing but i think also you need to take account for the what was it? The fumble, the punt return. I don't know. All this, you're all over it by now. I mean, it's just right. We're now on to college basketball, right? Uh, Terps, the Maryland versus Nebraska tonight. Um. So anyway, I'm. There's, I'm really excited for those who don't know. Um. Yeah, really excited about this upcoming conversation that I'm going to have with uh, Robert Falconer. Um, I've been reading his book. Um, so if you're, if you're new to the show, uh, Bob Falconer is a veteran, uh, clinician, veteran IFS therapist, internal family systems model. And, um, that's, that's the model that I primarily almost totally use with my clients. And, uh, Bob sent me his book. It's called the others within us. And I just can't put it down. Um, I can't put it down. It's. I, I was just at a three-year-old's birthday party today, and I was telling my godfather. He's like, hey, Robin, how are you doing? And I was like, Steve, I feels like every time I see you, a, another transformation has happened. You know, like two years ago, reawakening to God. One year ago this awareness of multiplicity that the that the not, that the mind is naturally multiple and now after reading bob's book you know the the uh, i'm going to i'm now i'm going to use the word reality but just the undeniable reality that is the presence of how the spirit world interacts with the real world, so this waking world. And um, that's kind of what Bob's book is all about. And we're going to get into that. I mean, you're, if you don't know what I'm talking about, you know, please, please uh, feel free to tune in next week when I release the interview with Bob, because he and I are going to talk about the contents of his new book and the implications of this work. Um, when I first got the book, the foreword was by Dr. Richard Schwartz, Dick Schwartz, uh, the 
developer of IFS. And uh, he's basically saying, you know, I've been really concerned about this material coming out and being public. A lot of the times, you know, IFS practitioners will talk about this stuff, you know, in safe circles. So at like level one trainings or behind a paywall of a training, but not really publicly, you know. And so with Bob's book coming out, it's pretty, pretty much like Dick is writing. He's like, you know, I'm really concerned this is coming out, but since it's coming out, I might as well address, you know, my fears about this. And, you know, Dick is concerned about uh, the internal family systems model being discredited or being kind of lumped into kind of new age woo-woo bullshit. When you, when you start to unpack the claims about what IFS practitioners are encountering when working with clients. You know, the way I describe it to people who don't know, um, it's, it's almost like, I'm sure you've heard of psychedelic-assisted psychotherapy. I mean, psychedelics are having a new renaissance, uh, but it's like psychedelic psychotherapy without the psychedelics. Because what you're doing, it's not hypnosis, okay? And it's not meditation, but the, the practitioner is getting the client into a trance state, into a, a state where their imagination is kind of fully available to them. And, uh, you know, if you think about the imagination as just like, oh, you're just imagining things, meaning that they're not real, that's false. Um, uh, and again, I mean, I think Bob might not even talk about it being false. He's just kind of looking at, well, how useful is it? If you were to take your imagination seriously, how useful could that be with regards to healing yourself? And um, it turns out that it's really fucking useful to take your thoughts, images, sensations, impulses, all these objects of awareness that meditators talk about to take those things seriously. And if you do, if you interact with that world, the dream world, the spirit world, the world that you enter when you're in a trance state, if you, if you take all that seriously and treat it as if it's completely real, it responds differently than if you just, you know, will it away with some kind of a logical part of you or a rationalist part of you that says, ah, you know, it's just, that's just a coping response. So that's just, you know, my imagination's getting the better of me, you know, whatever. Push it away, move on. And and if you do that, then you're going to be blind to the medicine that you have available to you inside. And so, I mean, the best, like, I'm going to assume that most listeners are, you know, are raised. If you're in the, I mean, most listeners are in the United States. Um, and there's a healthy... Christian substrate of the U.S., although some of you might be secular. Um, but let's just assume that most of you are were brought up under like a Christian tradition. Uh, it's, or maybe maybe it might even work if it was just talking about Abrahamic, you know, all Abrahamic religions. This notion of like devils and angels, demons and guides, you know, malevolent, purely malevolent beings and purely benevolent beings. 
um, you know, if you had talked to me about this stuff a few years ago, I would have just, I would have, I would have boxed all that into the, in my atheist worldview, I would have been like, you know, this is someone who's, you know, they're deeply religious and they're, 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 they adhere to their convictions of this stuff, but it's, it's their way of navigating what this life offers them, you know, but now it's, (laughs) now it's just, it's like, oh, no, actually, actually, reading stories in Bob's book shows you that there's hope for healing, whether you get that healing in this lifetime or 500 years from now, or whether your ancestors are still carrying unhealed traumas, you can actually heal beings that are, you know, not of this world or not of this time. And again, if I've lost some of you now, you know, like you're forgiven for being like, okay, I got to drop out of this conversation because this is just too, none of this makes sense. I don't get what, what the fuck is this guy talking about? But I, I really, I really want to uh, invite you to hang in there with regards to like your skepticism and how to how to make sense of this because Bob's going to explain it much better than I can. Um, but I just, I have to say that like I, I can't put the book down and and reading it has kind of produced a third transformation. So like I was telling my godfather, you know, moving from atheism to realizing immortality was the first transformation and then internal family systems therapy is realizing that I'm not a unitary mind I'm not some total you know Robin is just an individual with a bunch of thoughts and feelings and goals and fears etc but actually I'm a constellation of an inner tribe an inner society an inner village what the model causes calls is an inner family, but you know, that's just because the model was developed by a family therapist. So you can, you can really conceptualize all these beings inside of you as an inner village. And again, they're all, they're all sort of, they're human, but you can also encounter entities in the spirit world that are not a part of you. They're not you. Um, which again, that's kind of like the third awakening is to realize, oh shit, like the, 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 the decisions that you make in your day, how you live your life, how you relate to yourself and others in the world um, can be directly a function or a result of um, some of these forces, some of these entities. And uh, yeah, I, is this making sense? I don't know. This is the hard thing about a podcast is that it's, you know, it's not a, it's kind of a conversation, but it's not really, you know? Oh shit. This is, I'm in the, I'm in the muddy part here. Sorry, one second. Um, yeah, so I probably, again, this is a, this is a, I, oh, I should have explained myself. Why am I on the trail instead of in the studio? Uh, my parents are in town, and 
when they visit us, they stay in the basement bedroom, which is where the studio is. So that's why, that's why today's episode is coming to you from the trail, coming to you from Bluetooth headphones. And then um, no guests today. I still need to get Rich Del Grande rescheduled. Um, but, uh, yeah, l- last night, uh, Kelly and I went to the Kennedy Center and saw um, Romeo and Juliet and uh, the ballet. And man, that music is so good. And it was, I don't think I'd been to a live theater performance that had three acts. I was faked out when we had the first intermission. It's like, oh, the intermission's mine. Second intermission, I was like, wait, this, this is not how the ballet ends. I, I know Romeo and Juliet. They're like, what's happening? I was like, oh, shit, okay, three acts, all right. But it was really powerful, you know, at the end. I mean, I, I don't need to issue a spoiler alert. If you don't know how Romeo and Juliet ends, then, uh, well, maybe you've don't really never cared about Shakespeare. Or, but it's, I mean, it's one of those, obviously, masterpieces. And, um, like, you know, they both die. It's a tragedy. They both... They both die. Uh, Juliet takes, is it, it's not hemlock. She takes some sort of a, a poison or, or, a, or like some kind of like a sleeping drug that makes her appear as if she's dead. Um, but she's not actually dead. And then, you know, of course, Romeo finds her and his, his love that he is just goo goo gaga about is now dead. And he's Basically, like, I, I, why should I live? I, life isn't worth living if she's not alive. But then he kills himself down in the crypt. And then after he's dead, she, you know, the tranquilizer wears off. She wakes back up, realizes he's dead. And then she's like, life's not worth living. She kills herself. All right. But, but in the ballet, what was really powerful and moving is, you know, you got to watch... Romeo and Juliet, their families, the Montagues and the Capulets, you, you see their families sort of feuding and fighting. And and uh, when they fall in love, they do sort of this initial dance together. It's a beautiful dance. But what was really moving is when Romeo thinks that Juliet is dead, he's, he's, he's grieving and he's suffering. And his way to cope with that is to pick up her corpse and dance with it. So the ballerina playing Juliet has got to do her best to just have a lifeless body as Romeo picks her up and he's basically like recreating the dance. You know, and that was just really powerful to watch, you know? I was, I mean, there were, there were a lot of people wiping tears from their eyes. And, you know, with ballet, you have this amazing symphony, this powerful music, and no speech, right? You, you're, te- you're, you're telling a story. Oh, man. Are these crocus? Hold on. I'm going to take a picture of this. I'll post it on Instagram. These, uh... Hang on a second. Is this going to fuck up the recording? I wonder. Oh, hold on. Beautiful. Is it still recording? I, I bet it is, right? Y'all are still there. Yes, yeah, still there. Okay. Um, yeah, what was I saying? Yes, yeah, it's it's powerful storytelling. There's no there's no um, 
dialogue. And I think that's kind of what makes it more powerful is you know what's happening. And um, yeah, anyway, I don't know. I can go on and on, but. Uh, yeah, so oh, what I was going to say was I'm going to play – for those of you who listened to the episode last week – sorry, not last week, two weeks ago, not the Valentine's Day episode, two weeks ago, I shared a couple of tracks from Momentary Prophets album. I said Mandala, I think, back then, and uh, for longtime listeners, you might remember a conversation I had with Rebecca Wilkinson. And I remember she pronounced that word mandala. And depending on where your culture is, you might emphasize a different syllable. And I think maybe the correct pronunciation of that is mandala. In any event, um, those first two tracks I shared a couple weeks ago. And I want to, in this, in this episode, I want to share two more tracks from that album. So, um, yeah, obviously I'm on the trail right now, so I'm going to drop those in afterwards. But... I don't remember which one I'm... <laughs> I don't remember track three. So in any event, uh, please enjoy uh, this track from Momentary Prophets. Tirelessly He works the night He's burdened, he's burdened Effortlessly His nights melt to days Obsessed by the he can't know he sits alone The walls are wooden dolls Piles too high His skin and bone Hands alive Dancing with a knife Steady, steady As they go Steady, steady to be. 
happened in the news since I was last on the air. Um, I, I think the State of the Union happened since we last touched base live. And, uh, you know, when was the last time that a president said the State of our Union is not that great? <laughs> was it Ford? Was it Carter? Has a president ever done that? I don't know, but it seems to me like, I don't, I don't know. I, I guess you could, you know, on, in what basis are you determining the strength of the union of our country? You know, if you're talking about the health of the people? Are you talking about the health of the economy? Uh, you know, are you talking about GDP or jobs or, um, it, I guess what I'm trying to say here is you remember when Obama was at the state of the union and what's his face, Joe something, the, one of the representatives shouted out, you lie. And that was like, when that happened, it was like, uh, everyone was kind of like, oh, like, you know, it, it, it was obviously unexpected. And, um, and I think when Trump gave the State of the Union, there was also a less than respectful decorum shown by senators and uh, representatives and uh then and then this most recent one with biden you know obviously there was we're just our our the chamber is starting to or has been kind of ebbing closer and closer towards more you know parliamentary democracies where the the legislators are on the floor and just yelling at each other and you know, you watch some of those videos and you can see people in parliament getting into fistfights. I think, was that happening in South Korea? 
I got to, someone fact check me on this. I don't, I don't, I shouldn't talk about things I don't know about, but I, I want to say, I want to say it was South Korea, but I could be wrong. But, you know, there's basically in democracies, when people are allowed to have free speech and speak their mind, and then they, the conflict gets escalated and people, the sides of the political spectrum get polarized. And in our culture, it just, when you just look at an analysis of the state of the union, the members of Congress are becoming more and more, or less and less respectful, I should say. And is that a good thing? Um, I, I don't think so. Um, it's a symptom, right? It's a symptom of not being able, well, it's a symptom of not feeling like you're heard, right? And this is again, like from a psychotherapist perspective, when you go inside to that inner society, the parts of you that are at war with one another, the, the reason why they get louder is because they don't feel witnessed. They don't feel heard. So if you get angry or if you get anxious or if you get scared or disgusted, or I mean, Nate, Nate, pick your pick your emotion. The reason why you're feeling that way is because that part of you doesn't feel totally... Uh, appreciated or seen or understood by you. Uh, and so they get, they get, I think in other traditions, like, like in Buddhist in like meditative traditions, you, you conceptualize an emotion as a, as a guest, as a visitor, they come knocking on your door. Let's, let's call it worry. Worry comes knocking on your door and you're like, ah, oh, no, it's going to be okay. You know, I, I gotta, you know, you, you answer the door and you say, no, 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 don't come in. I don't want you here. You don't feel good. Just go away. It's all going to be fine. You know, and you, you talk it away or you rationalize like, ah, this is nothing to worry about. Or you minimize, you say, oh, come on, just get a hold of yourself, Robin. You know, like, you know, you're a big boy, right? Like, you know, you don't need to let this plague you or, you know, you're making too big of a deal about it. It was any kind of that stuff. And so then the worry goes away. What happens is it comes back and it knocks on your door louder, louder because you didn't listen to it. Because you didn't take it seriously. And that's being shown uh, isomorphically in the outside world. It's being shown in the members of Congress. You know, they, they're representing people who don't feel seen and understood or valued. And, uh, or they themselves, as the, if they're trying to get that witnessing, they're not getting it. And so they fight harder. Anyway, I mean, parts can polarize on the inside world and we're seeing it, we're seeing it happen parts polarizing the outside world. And the, and the truth is you need everyone. We, we, we actually need everyone in our society. There's not one person that we don't need. The, the, the left needs the right. Um, we need a healthy democratic party and a healthy conservative party. And if you, and, and you pay a terrible price by um, uh, dismissing or disintegrating trying to cut off like let's say for example the majority of my listeners are liberals or don't like trump for example or trumpers or trumpism right there's a terrible price that we will pay if we just write these people off because they're they're our brothers and sisters they're part of they're part of our family i mean you if you're listening to this think about your own family do you have 
brothers, sisters, cousins, aunts, uncles that are exiled or that are that are emotionally cut off. You know, we don't talk to that side of the family anymore because of the shit that they did at the wedding or, you know, shit like that. It's like the same thing. Your family is not healthy when it's disintegrated, when it's split up. And they're all valuable. And, and you can get them to be less extreme by listening, by witnessing them, hearing them out, by not coming at them and telling them that they're wrong with your own agenda. You know, for example, like if they're, uh, what's it called? If they're talking about climate change and they're saying, you know, uh, humans aren't make, humans aren't creating climate change. This is just the earth naturally doing what it does all the time. And you might cite scientific data saying, you know, these people are fucking wrong. They, you know, they got, it's just, that's not healthy to, to go at it that way. It requires a great deal of patience and a great deal of humility and a great deal of curiosity. And I think curiosity it's sort of like the magical quality. If you're not curious, then you're not really open to taking in new information, are you? Not really, right? Anyway, I, my wife always my wife always says that I, I preach, and I feel like I'm preaching to you all. Um, I really don't mean to, but I don't know. Like when when Biden says the state of our union is strong, you know, I I, I just kind of wish that that our leader could actually say i want to say that the state of our union is strong and in many ways it is but i also have to acknowledge what's going on in our country and kind of saying it not from a i'm right you're wrong but saying it as a leader as someone who's trying to not have anyone lost in the shadows or cast out or you know not welcomed into the the tribe, the, the, the tribe of 340 million or however many people are in the United States, you know? If we could actually acknowledge that we've got a real crisis on our hands, but not as a, as a way to scare people, but to treat them respectfully and, and, and just kind of tell it like it is, honestly, and say, we've got a real problem here. Um, now, the other thing is, you know, I, sh- I actually haven't watched all of it. I think I watched the first half of the State of the Union. Maybe he did mention that. I mean, I, maybe I'm just pitching that that kind of be articulated at the top. You know, have the courage to say the state of our union is not particularly strong. But again, what the fuck do I know? I mean, I'm not, I'm not really in a position to, I don't know, I'm not in a position to say that in a way that comes from a place of authority or credibility. So I'm undermining my own. What do you, you know, you're listening to me. I, I'm a therapist. I should stay in my swim lane, right? Um, anyway, I don't know how many minutes we're in, but, uh, probably time to share, probably time to share another track from the great momentary profits. Again, uh, this is track four and, uh, it's my great pleasure to share it with you. And, um, I won't see you on the other side of this track, but I will see you next week. And my conversation with Bob Falconer, I I said it before, I'll say it again. This is the most exciting conversation. I've, I have not anticipated an interview with a guest on the show the way I am this time. If I could get all listeners who've ever downloaded an episode to tune into this episode, that would be, that would be swell. Uh, to me, it seems like it's the most important one. Um, anyway, and with that, uh, thanks for tuning in. Thanks for listening. See you next week.
Here is track four off of Mandala to bring you Momentary Prophets. Let's cry there too. 
The Robin Smith Show is produced by me, Robin Smith. Executive produced by Robin and Kelly Glenn Smith at Team Robley. Theme song by The Very Small. The show is engineered by one of my alters, Games Nabisco. Listeners can get in touch by calling the hotline at 301-458-0883. Messages can be sent to robinsmithshow at gmail.com. Don't forget to follow the show on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Disclaimer. This podcast is for general information purposes only and does not constitute the practice of medicine, psychotherapy, or other professional healthcare services, including the giving of medical advice. Note, no therapist-patient relationship is formed. The use of this information is at the listener's own risk. The content of this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnoses, or treatment. Listeners should not disregard or delay in obtaining medical advice for any medical condition they have and should seek the assistance of their healthcare professionals for any such conditions. Mm-hmm.